0: You're listening to The Sill Podcast. Perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. <laughs> Episode 27. Shattering Habits. Phoenix Rising.
1: We're captive on the carousel. We can't return, we can only look behind from where we came and go round and round and round in the circle.
0: Before we talk about habits.
1: <laughs> mm. Mm, that's good fake coffee. No, it's not
0: fake, that's real. Freshly roasted Hockley <laughs> Valley coffee. <laughs> Just
1: smells. It's as real as it gets in this world of ours of fake news. <laughs> Are you enjoying yours? Oh, uh, immensely. Anyway,
0: no, it is good. It's aromatic. It's it's, it's problematic. problematic. It's idiomatic.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: so today, Harry, we're going to talk about habits. I mean, this is a habit.
1: What is, drinking coffee? Drinking good coffee. Yes, it is. It's a good habit, though. It can be a good habit and that's how moderation. we
0: and, and that's how we distinguish habits from addictions. Correct. Habits can be good or bad. That's right. Addictions are
1: only negative. That's what they say. That's what they that's say. That's what they say. And I, I tend to agree with them.
0: So, because they say addiction is a more complex type of habitual
1: behavior. Addiction is something that is out of control.
0: Hmm. You had mentioned to me the other day uh, about a particular habit you had that you weren't aware of in
1: your driving. Mm -hmm. A number of years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, I came to the realization that I was kind of a speeder. I had a heavy foot and my wife kept reminding me of that to no avail until I got enough speeding tickets that the Department of Traffic Safety sent me a notice saying Mm. you're losing points on your license and you better smarten up, essentially. That's the gist. And so it kind of hit home at that point that I needed to change my behavior, my habit. What I did was I kind of looked at why I was doing what I was doing. And the reason I kept speeding was because I wanted to get places in good time. I hate being late. Oh, okay. Okay. And so I would hit that accelerator to get there in good time. Even though all you had to do was maybe leave a couple of minutes earlier. Well, that's what I ended up doing. I realized that's a way around it. I just leave Uh earlier. I don't feel compelled to rush, and I could take my time and get there in good time, and all was good. So I just kept reminding myself to do that, and it's not a habit anymore. I'm going in the speed limit and taking it easy. So I had to become awake, not just to the fact that I was driving too quickly and getting tickets. Mm -hmm. That's the surface level of being awake. But beneath that, I had to realize that my relationship to time was at issue
0: that's a very important word you just said, awareness, because that's key in identifying things before you can even act on them. We had this discussion before you were relating it to a kind of a Buddhist approach. Mm -hmm.
1: Care to elaborate? Yeah, what I was thinking was I was thinking about addiction and habit and the difference that we talked about, that addiction is more out of control. But then I realized that at least with addiction, a person typically knows that they're addicted to something but they're compelled to do it anyway. Right? With habit, we're mostly unconscious of what we're doing. Mm. And so from a Buddhist perspective, being unconscious is probably worse than being conscious and out of control in a way, although they right. wouldn't smile at that, they wouldn't say that's good. But the point is that we tend to make habit into this benign sort of thing, there are some good habits, there are some bad habits, but they're not really life-endangering or threatening, so we don't have to worry about them too much. But from a Buddhist perspective, we need to worry because we're being unconscious for much of our day in many of the things we do, from brushing our teeth in the morning, to talking a certain way to certain right. people, to thinking certain thoughts, mm-hmm. to ignoring certain people just because of who we think they are mm-hmm. all the time, ignoring them, the habit of these things. One of
0: the things that Pretty much everyone agrees on is that habits are repetitive behavior, yeah. and they're repetitive behavior that uh, often start as coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. ways to reduce your stress. and habits typically are more annoying to other people than they are to yourself. Mm-hmm. For example, publicly, you may have habits like biting your nails or fussing with your hair, or whatever that particular behavior happens to be. It is more of a public annoyance than a personal one.
1: Well, because we're unconscious of it. So it doesn't annoy us. It annoys the people who experience it, who witness it. Mm -hmm. They see the habit that we don't. You know, you think Trump realizes that he uses the word huge and tremendous and great more than any other words? He's probably unconscious of it for the most part. It would seem that way. I I wouldn't know how to verify that, but it would seem that way. But I'm just saying that we all have those things we do unconsciously that we just don't realize we're doing it, whether it's talking with our hands, ignoring somebody's point of view because we've already assumed this is who they are, Mm -hmm. and so their point of view is not worthy of listening to.
0: Here's the thing about habits, though, that can make it more difficult, and that is that it's proven that it releases dopamine. Right. Right. So what ends up happening is you're getting that little bit of a rush, and dopamine is based on a kind of craving-reward cycle. So whatever it is that you do habitually, it's actually a comfort to you in some way. And there's actually a release of hormones in your body
1: that substantiate that. Yeah, and I just read an article in the Globe and Mail recently that talked about the dopamine hit that people get when they go on social media, for example. Mm -hmm. And each upload that they witness that they see is a little bit of a hit of dopamine and it kind of keeps them hooked to their screens. And apparently the average person nowadays uh, looks at their smartphone something like 150 times on average every day.
0: And that estimate is conservative because they're only using certain figures that don't totally indicate awareness. So you may be counting 150, but you may be actually doing it two or 300 times.
1: Yeah, the way people who wear a wristwatch unconsciously check their wristwatch. I used to wear a wristwatch and I remember I would check it and I would know the time and somebody would say, what time is it? And I'd have to check it again to check the time. Even though it only happened a minute ago. Yeah, yeah. 10 seconds ago for that right, matter. Right. right. So there's an unconscious element to the things we do where we're just not taking it in. It's just a habit of doing the same thing.
0: Speaking about unconscious, you, you had mentioned something about uh, your parents and mine as well, uh, their political affiliations and their way of voting. You said that uh, they automatically voted NDP regardless of who was running or what
1: year it was. It was just a habit of sorts. Yeah, the NDP was understood by my parents and their generation of immigrants as the party of the people, of the common man. Mm -hmm. My parents voted NDP automatically. didn't matter who was running. They didn't care. Well, I wonder what percentage of people who vote vote automatically without really thinking about not just voting
0: i think there's a number of things that we do automatically without thinking and what i said before about awareness i think awareness is a critical part of changing your behavior if you just go along with things and aren't really aware of the ramifications of your thinking and your actions you tend to just automatically repeat them. Let's use that one regarding political persuasions. And your parents in this situation voting for NDP, maybe if they had reflected more on what they were actually doing, they may have been able to change their thinking in terms of how they would vote.
1: But that's the power of propaganda, though, you see, of political propaganda, that if a party can have attached to it a certain perception Mm -hmm. Whether that perception is real or not, there'll be a certain percentage of the population that will vote for them automatically. So Trump's Make America Great Again campaign Mm -hmm. snagged people with that one phrase. He didn't have to say anything else other than that phrase, which he just repeated over and over again. And he won the election. Obviously, we're oversimplifying that part, but but, but, uh, it was, but it was pretty emphatic. A little bit oversimplifying, not much. Same right. with Barack Obama's uh, Yes, We Can. Mm-hmm. Powerful memes, I guess you'd call them, mm-hmm. that go into our psyches as a population, and we tend to then fall asleep to what is really being said or not being said. So there is that going on all the time in terms of our habits. <laughs>
0: Habit is not just the obvious things that we associate with habits. Right. It's also a habit in terms of how you live, routines that you follow.
1: Yeah. There's a term I like to use, and I've heard it before, called consensual reality. And we tend in general to live inside a reality which is a consensus among us that we agree on. Socially acceptable. Yeah. And the minute you fall out of agreement with that consensus reality... People look upon you as either insane or an enemy of the state. Social pariah. (laughs) Social pariah, Mm -hmm. danger, right? And there are many of these explorers of consciousness, John Lilly, Terence McKenna, Timothy Leary back Mm in the 60s, people who are doing these things and exploring, and they're not hurting anybody by doing it. But the governments have wanted to shut them down because... The things they're discovering had nothing to do with commerce and the economy and capitalism and all of these things that we're supposed to buy into. Racism, xenophobia, us and them. So taking a risk can be a bigger deal than simply brushing your teeth in a different way in the morning, breaking that kind of habit. What's that term? Data... Data mining. Data mining is exactly that. They're looking at our habits, our viewing habits, our clicking habits, and they're putting together through algorithms, profiles, profiles, marketing schemes, and choosing which ads to throw at us. That's playing upon our habits big time.
0: We're highly predictable, aren't we?
1: We tend to be, unless we're true warriors in the true sense of the word, a true warrior from the point of view of Carlos Castaneda and that right. shamanic tradition yes. is unpredictable, is fluid.
0: You can it, change on a dime.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nothing ever is the same.
0: Which would make for a far more interesting society, don't you think?
1: Oh, it sure would. It would <laughs> be like suddenly I could imagine you as uh, the guru of Orangeville. The guru of Orangeville. Of Orangeville. Right. Okay. And now everything you say coming out of your mouth will be different in my ears. Mm-hmm. Then, if I saw Peter Noche as a tech guy, you know what I mean? But yes, I thought, I do, yeah. if, I, if I took the perception that you were a guru, then mm-hmm. I would listen really carefully to the things you say, and they would strike my ears and my consciousness differently, Yes. and vice versa. So, part of our challenge, I think, is to do that, to change the way we perceive other people, the world around us, and not get caught in the consensus reality. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting we all take LSD and all that and flip out. No,
0: I get what you're saying. A little bit more free thinking, a little bit more flexibility, like you say, flow and the ability to modify when required. Yeah. Uh, That would change our entire approach to most things and we wouldn't feel so handcuffed to everything. There would be a possibility of exploring change and not be stuck politically or uh, economically even uh, in terms of how we view our daily life and what we think we have to do versus what we could do.
1: Yeah. And what does habit do? Habit basically dampens the possibility for novelty, for creativity. Exploring. And yeah. And that's what artists are here to do, is to break habits and to create works of art that make us think differently, feel differently, see the world differently, see ourselves differently differently. So a good artist, a true artist, is dissolving boundaries, breaking with traditions, even though they may be working in a medium that has Mm -hmm. a long tradition.
0: Offering kind of limitless possibilities.
1: Yeah. Their Mm -hmm. aim is to show those limitless possibilities through the the details of that tradition. Yes. Doing it in a way that is different, truly new, and not simply a fad or a novelty, which is what happens on the Internet a lot of the time. Mass culture produces novelty. And we're very interested in it because we're we're so habitual that anything new draws our attention and gives us a little dopamine hit. So a new upload, a new video.
0: Which doesn't necessarily have any great significance. No. It just feeds that particular part of our brain.
1: Sure. We don't need a new iPhone necessarily. I agree. But we hear about it and go, oh, suddenly we need it. Even though the one we've got works very well, thank you very much. But there's another one there that's new, that's different, there's, that's more. And suddenly our attention is riveted to that, and we're drawn to it.
0: That alone, if we could alter that part of our psyche, would make huge strides on so many levels. Yeah, We would reduce waste enormously. Mm-hmm. We would be at much greater peace, I think, in that we would naturally reduce our choices. Because sometimes, I think as human beings, having too many choices is actually working against us. Hmm. There's a duality there. You're opening up possibilities yet reducing the options and making it a positive thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also opening up possibilities to blow the whole thing out of the water. When you think these geniuses that come around every hundred years or something, the Einsteins, the Isaac Newtons, Mm -hmm. the great philosophers, What are they doing? They're able to break out of the habits of the culture, of the times, and see the world, see reality from a larger point of view, to step out of themselves, out of the consensus. And then they present that and people go, wow, that's different. That's new. And either they burn them at the stake, (laughs) make them drink hemlock in the case of Galileo, Mm -hmm. or whatever, Uh, but... Because they're geniuses, those ideas last.
0: Geniuses who are natural risk-takers.
1: Yeah. Oh, sure. No genius played it safe. Mozart wasn't playing it safe when you created these incredible symphonies, and the Archduke of Austria, whoever, is saying, we too many notes in that. Uh,
0: What's interesting to me is we elevate these people from a historical and personal perspective. In other words, we recognize their greatness and we recognize either on the surface or internalize what these people had to do in order to achieve that. Yeah. And yet most of us don't give ourselves the same possibility. In other words, we see someone and go, wow. And mm-hmm. how many of us still take the time to say, I can do that too? Maybe not on that particular level, but they're human beings just like me and you.
1: Yeah. We don't give ourselves the freedom. Exactly. To change the freedom to take the risk, because we're so used to the comfort. Metaphorically, we wear the same underwear of our lives day in, day out, for year in, year out. Same unconscious habits, and we don't change our underwear. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And maybe it doesn't hurt us physically, but we start to kind of stink after a while.
0: Are there any particular habits that you picked up over the years that you had to make an effort to change in
1: order to alter the type of work that you were doing or the results you were getting? Well, I can give you one example. I got into spoken word poetry uh, about 10 years ago or so and began to get up on stages and do my thing. And my wife would come and watch me. And at the end of the performance, she would say, boy, you, you certainly used your hands an awful lot. You flung your hands around all over the damn place like a whirly gig. and Like you were uh, Italian. Like I was Italian. And it, frankly, was distracting. So think about actually what you're doing with your hands. And so after enough times of that, of being reminded of that, I decided to say, okay, I'm going to just hold my hands together and try to do this. And gradually I was able to do it and just lessen the flailing Yes. Uh, being more effective as a result. The other might be in habits of writing, Yeah, where I might use certain words or tend towards going in certain directions with certain words more often. Or and a particular style that seems to constantly creep up. Yeah, a certain style, a certain voice that's always kind of creeping in, affectations, that sort of thing. So one always has to be aware of that as an artist, as a writer, looking at your habits Even as a a painter, you know, certain brush strokes that you do all the time. Maybe it's time for you to change it up and try a different technique, different device. I admire artists like Joni Mitchell, who went through many different phases and types of music and styles. She really changed and grew and evolved. That's very true. Yeah, her
0: music is, yes. uh, From folk to jazz, etc., She was already successful, didn't have to change her
1: model, but chose to. Mm -hmm. Dylan didn't have to go electric, and he got Mm -hmm. a lot of flack for it, got booed off the stage when it first happened, and it took a while to be accepted, but he did. That was an evolution that he felt he needed to go through. He
0: was was breaking our habit for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and people didn't like it. People were angry (laughs) because we expect people to stay the same. We expect people not to change. It's partly our fault when people are caught in their own habits of being in the world because we expect them to stay the same. If they act differently, we get nervous, we get worried for them. That's especially noticeable in families. Yeah? How so?
0: Well, families are largely built on this kind of silent understanding. There have been things that have been passed down for sometimes generations.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Habits and behavior patterns that are not necessarily positive, but... It's something that the family kind of frowns on when someone does something that alters that entire cycle. So, for example, if you come from a line of abusers and you stop the abuse, as positive as it may sound to the average person who's never been exposed to abuse, it creates a certain strife inside the family circles because questions now have to be asked. Mm-hmm. You know, patterns have to be examined. Yeah. And people get very, very uncomfortable because you're going to reveal things that people aren't necessarily going to like. Sure, It's easy to hide. Yeah. Again, it's, it's all on perception because if you see it that way, then you, you won't change it. The person that genuinely wants to make a change knows that they have to do that in order to begin the process. You have to be willing to take the chance And even understand that your family members and people close to you aren't going to like what you're doing and they may
1: not even like you in the beginning. So that's what we have to do as individuals. We have to push through the prejudices and the pushback we get from our family usually to start with Mm -hmm. and from the culture at large often as well
0: the manner in which you attempt it sometimes can also make it easier or more difficult to do. So if you attempt to make a change and you come off sincerely as not being malicious or with a desire to do harm, it may be easier to implement that particular change than if you come off very aggressively. But some people will argue that if you're not aggressive, then you can't make the change. I'm not one of those people. I think the hardest thing to do is not to engage people negatively when you are making the change and understand that you are going to get some resistance and that there are going to be repercussions. But if you can maintain your position based on a sincere willingness to make some change, which
1: you think will be positive, you won't be as affected. Gandhi comes to mind. Nonviolent resistance. Other ways sometimes require a bit more urgency. The civil rights movement of the 60s Mm -hmm. went from quiet marches that were attacked by dogs and police to burning riots to burning riots because they felt they had no choice and things changed in the end, partly through the quiet walking and partly through the the violence, things started to change. It's Mm -hmm. not perfect there, but it's not the 1960s anymore. Of all the habits you have. Yeah. What's your best habit?
0: That's a great question, Harry. My best (laughs) habit.
1: What's what's your best habit?
0: I would say my best habit is to find goodness in other people. Good. When I see negative things especially, I always try to find something good in it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a good habit. So I don't
0: know if you would call that a habit, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, if
1: if that's your normal response to life, then it's a habit in that respect, and it's a good one. Mm -hmm. I would say mine is to always... Look for, always look on the bright side of life. Yeah. (whistles) Yeah, so looking for, you know, what is lighthearted about, what is funny about it, how I can engage it and make it lighter and take the gravity away. So in some ways
0: similar to my own, only perhaps a little bit more encompassing, but similar idea, which which is interesting because given where we come from, both of us have had different experiences, but similar experiences in the sense of where we came from, what our families went through, our parents.
1: Yeah, our, the habits of our cultures, the Italian yes. and the Yiddish, are not that different in many ways, going back yes. generations, European, essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why there's some similarities there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is incumbent upon each of us as individuals to ultimately break out of the habits of our cultures, break out of the habit of history, and find and create something new in the world. That is the challenge. Yes. You know, I can't make assumptions about my history and act on just because I did something in the past that I should be doing it in the future. That's the sign of someone who is waking up to who they are, is realizing that our consciousness is a fluid thing. It's not trapped it doesn't have to be trapped mm-hmm. in habit, encased in ritual, mm-hmm. etc. So
0: the word that kept coming up throughout this entire discussion was awareness.
1: Yeah. We are awareness entities. That's what we are. We're not much more than awareness. We're aware psychologically, mentally, emotionally. We're aware of our physicality. It's awareness that makes us human beings. So we need to use that awareness to break habits that are bad for us. And give ourselves permission to play And be free in the world
0: So to conclude We are maintaining our habit Of not knowing how to close this damn I pipe.
1: think we shouldn't close this I think we should break the habit of closing this sucker down And just keep going that's And great. keep talking
0: What we're going to do really though Is we're just going to fade out our words
1: And that's the end of today Okay, we're going to start fading out. Now we're going to fade fade fade, fade fade, fade, We can't return We can only look. Behind from where we came and go round and round and round in the circle.
0: The Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology is a connecting dance media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.